Hello everyone, welcome to Urbonus Podcast. I'm the host Anatos Urbonas, Eritis Vishnauskas, Augustas Shulauskas. They are here as always. How do you feel guys about watching Los Angeles Lakers celebrating Darwin Ham, his first head coaching victory uh, with the Lakers? And if Kobe Bryant went, was in this room and saw that video, what would be his thoughts and reactions after it? Um, a bit cringe. That's how I felt. I mean, <laughs> to say at uh, least you start the season 05, you're the last team without a win in the whole league, and you're the LA Lakers with LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, even though he's not the Russell Westbrook we imagine. Uh, and you win one game in the regular season. And, against a solid Denver Nuggets team. I know you're celebrating like the first win of your of, of your head coach, but it's a bit cringe to see the the <laughs> ice shower and and LeBron hugging with Darwin Ham as if this was a postseason win, like they closed the series or something. So yeah, it felt cringy, but probably the Lakers need some positivity. They need exactly. people to talk about Things like that, other than Russell Westbrook's true shooting percentage and and how the team is choking on the three point line. So, actually, this night they delivered like thirteen from thirty. That's probably the best you can get from this from, from the this fr- from the three point line. Yeah, from right. the three point line. So you cannot expect anything more than that. And they're not really bad defensively. Actually, I have to admit it. They have some potential, but the way this team is built doesn't make any sense basketball wise. At all, at all. But uh, but as you said, Ridis, I like that uh, now, I mean, at least on, on the social media, you know, the discourse after this win is the this video and not, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook uh, making terrible decisions or, I don't know, Anthony Davis, uh, you know, falling down and grabbing his back. So, I mean, it reminds me of the situation when JaVale McGee and Nick Young, after in a post-game <laughs> interview, they were doing, yeah, we back, we back after, I don't know, that season, Lakers won, I think, 20 games, <laughs> close to that. And then Kobe was reminded about this interview in Jimmy Kimmel show. And he, he didn't even react with words. He, he, all he did was like, and that's it. And that was, <laughs> and that was his whole reaction. So, um, I mean, I understand that because it's the first win of the head coach. So, and it's becoming, you know, every team does that. So, uh, and in the NBA, nobody's at least inside of the team, nobody's trying to overreact after losing the yeah. first games. But and th- since, that's, that's the difference, you know. And since it's the LA Lakers, everything you do goes viral. I mean, every, everything you do. Just looking at the numbers that those, these Twitter people have that are following yeah. the Lakers, co- covering the Lakers, Every little detail gets so much attention and just every little thing that in Europe we are not even, you know, m- maybe talking about this. Who's closest to Lakers in, in Europe? What do you think? Uh, in basketball? As a, as a team? No one. I mean, in, <laughs> by European standards. By European standards? Yeah, of course, by European standards, by all the hype, uh, pressure, attention. That's not Probably delivering? Or you mean on... Just in general, but by the size season? of the club and all these oh. reactions, whether the team is winning or losing, and especially when they're losing. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell because in Europe, you, you're you not global. Like, you're inside your own bubble. Mm. For example, Schrangit is a very big thing in Lithuania, yeah. right? Because Lithuania is a basketball country. We don't have any football culture. So Schrangit is a big deal for us, but for for... Europe, well, they know the mm-hmm. name, but it's it's not something special. They they think that Jalgiris is just an average Euroleague team. So 
I don't really see a club that would be very popular throughout the whole Europe, mm. not in mm. the in their own region. Like, of course, Basque people support Basconia, like Madrid people support Real, like uh, Catalan support Barcelona or Joventut. And, and the same way goes to Germany, like there's Bavarians and Ber Berlin people. So mm. we don't follow the players as much as they do maybe in the NBA, you yeah. know, if there is a huge player coming, going over to the, to the next city, you might as well be a fan of that team, you know, especially if you're from Europe and here you're just uh, connected to the, to your own city, yeah. basically in the EuroLeague. So. Yeah, we're not as attached to personalities in mm. Europe as as people in America are because you can be a fan of a of an athlete, not necessarily a team, and and you just follow the athlete wherever he goes. And in Europe, very few people do that. I have some players that I admire, and mm. I I am always interested in the teams they are performing for. But that's just me. Uh, most people they stick to their teams through the good times and the bad times doesn't matter the roster they are always cheering mm. for their own team it's it's like the support your local club culture i would say yeah it's actually sad that for example mike james he's one of the let's say current historical players in the euroleague he made an impact wherever he played he always having this noise around him he's playing an elite level for all those years and he has only 42000 twitter followers although his twitter uh, activity is something special i i cannot see i mean it, he he's like draymond green of the nba without the podcast probably <laughs> something like that and it's crazy to see that he has only forty-two thousand followers yeah it's it's tough it all is, uh, tells a lot about it how big yearly personalities are here uh in europe i mean some college kids have uh more uh yeah, it's coming from, from ncaa right yeah environment followers yeah. and on social media especially they are uh, some some guys that are the biggest talents have more followers in high school or, or already. Well, Victor Wembanyama didn't even step a foot on an NBA court yet, and he is more popular than the whole EuroLeague. <laughs> so that that says it all. But and his games are now uh, shown on the NBA League Pass. Yep, for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if the whole French league or just the Metropolitan. Just the Metropolitan games, right? So if you have the League Pass, you have the opportunity to witness this teenager dominating the French league. Yeah, That's it's great. great. Oh, yeah, Wemby has like 76,000 followers. I think he added like around 50,000 uh, <laughs> since he showed up in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's normal. Like, I think EuroLeague basketball um, provides very good quality and it's basically for basketball geeks who are so deep into basketball mm -hmm. and love watching great tactical battles uh and that's the problem we're discussing constantly how to make this product more um accepted by the bigger mass of people like mm -hmm. not only these basketball geeks who remember what happened in the final four in 2004 or 2005 but also those people who occasionally watch basketball and usually it is some random nba game or nba highlights and they just follow lebron james and kevin durant how do you reach these people and prove them that Euroleague is a very good basketball material. Mm. Yeah. If we do that, then we could talk about some of those clubs being uh, followed pro by more people. Profit and profitable. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> the Euroleague as such is not followed by 
too many people on oh, no. social media. Oh no. Yeah, Euroleague has a lot of to sell, uh, let's say, and we will talk about the biggest highlights of the previous week. By the way, we will have a short NBA topic at the end of the podcast about Luka Doncic. But of course, we will discuss Fenerbahce being a single undefeated team in the Euroleague so far and the big derby uh, against FS and also another impressive game one of the most or even most anticipated game of the season, Olympiacos, uh, Monaco, Monaco and some other things. So let's start with the winners. Uh, Fenerbahce remains a single undefeated Euroleague team after round five. They have the first 5-0 start since 2013-14 season. Benjelko Bradovic started his era uh, in Istanbul. Their first uh, by defensive rating in the Euroleague, according to Bibolytics. Third uh, by offensive rating, second in three-point shooting percentage, fourth in true shooting percentage, and third in assists. So, question to you, gentlemen. What do you think this 5-0 start for Fenerbahce? Is it nothing, is it something, or is it everything? I mean, I would say it is something. You know, I'm obviously not going to go there all in and say this is everything and they're the main title contenders or something but um 5-0 is impressive and um knowing that they changed a lot of you know team members and the coach but um to start the season to me Dimitri Sidudi's hand is very clear and the way they play the way they defend they have the best uh net net rating they have the best defense um and by far the best net rating of all teams one thing that uh, stands out from the statistical point of view and uh, just, you know, the eye test watching the games is how they are not allowing the three-point shots. They're basically forcing... There is not that much help going on defensively. You know, when there is a pick and roll, they leave it for two men to defend and basically not forcing the kickouts and, e and easy shots. They allow the most or the second most two-pointers which is like, okay, you are not you are scoring two points at the most. And this is why they have such a tremendous defense. Obviously, they have the personnel to do it. They have the people to guard the post. They can switch, as we saw with Devin Booker doing an extremely good job against Anadolu Efes. So to me, their defense is there to stay. The one question that's, you know, I want to see answered next, let's say, is how they how their offense is against a really, really good defensive teams. Because, you know, Anadolu is not somewhat a great defensive team. And uh, already this, this week they will, they will have a test against Barcelona and away game. So that will be interesting to see how they deal with this. Yeah. But they have a lot of weapons offensively. So uh, it is for, for me, it is something. And I, see ju I just want to see more how they go with, uh, when the season goes along. We're still actually waiting for Carson Edwards to you know, start playing at his own mm -hmm. level. Like so far, we just saw a glimpse of what Carson Edwards could be in the Euroleague. But you can say that Scotty Wilbekin, Nikolaitis, and especially in the Istanbul derby, it was Goodrich uh, people who carry this team. Yeah. You know, if we, if we talk about the perimeter players, uh, and Carson Edwards, I think that throughout the season he will have a breakthrough. Carson Edwards had like during the Istanbul derby he uh stayed on the bench for 18 minutes straight. Yeah. He came in the end of the second quarter and it is it just shows how professional he is and how great of a scorer he is. So he sat 
I don't know what, what's it, what's it like uh, real time. Forty minutes of of sitting time on the bench, you know, mm-hmm. at almost two quarters. So that's like forty minutes on the bench. He stepped up. He made his first spot up free, and then in the third quarter, he scored uh, seven or eight points in a row when Anadolu was trying to were trying to come back into the game and just pure scorer. And he's still, you know, you can see him a little bit, uh, you know. Lost, not lost on defense, but you know, just still adjusting. But his offensive potential is insane, which usually happens with newcomers to the Euroleague. Exactly. When you come from the NBA, it takes some time to realize uh, how different the uh, defensive rotations are in 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 Euroleague and yeah. uh, the things that you do in the NBA in Europe. You have to do them like by a second quicker if mm-hmm. you're going to help somebody on defense. You need to. Be there one step ahead than you than you would be in the NBA. Court. And there is no possessions that you can take uh, off. You know. Yeah, every possession is is very important, and uh, you always have to be serious, and you always have to pay attention to every single detail. So these are the things he's gonna learn. But I believe he has the talent and all the necessary mm. abilities to be a successful EuroLeague player. Um, actually, the interesting thing is that the team which was closest to beating Fenerbahce was Valencia. Mm. And you cannot say that Valencia is very spectacular or very consistent so far, even though they beat Anadolu Efes and they had a solid win against Alba last week. But they had a legit opportunity. They had a shot at winning against Fenerbahce and the game was played in Istanbul. But they were the closest. And nobody so far scored 80 points on Fenerbahce. Mm. So this is a winning formula. If you don't allow... 80 points, you will always be capable of winning the game with players like Kalaitis, uh, Wilbekin, Guduric, and, and all the others. They're so good at slowing the game down. Like, uh, they play slow and offensively by themselves. So, you know, automatically you allow less possessions to the, to the other teams. But also, they just do such a good job. You know, there's, uh, they score or, or they don't score. There's immediately a person next to the point guard, you know not allowing to yeah. uh, run run the break. They're always denying, they're always, you know, fronting. So it's really hard to get into the offense. And then they have players who can switch, you know, John Motley, Devin, Devin Booker. So they are, they should be a really good defensive team throughout the whole, throughout the whole season. And the best My thing answer. is that if we are looking for some potential, we're sure that they're gonna click even better, both offensively and defensively with some time. Let's not forget that they're together just for like a little bit more than a month. But the best thing is that Nemanja Bielica, former EuroLeague MVP, is you know coming back into the lineup after the Still few hasn't weeks. Played. That's the that's the problem he has. He has this cough injury, and he had a setback, and it was announced by the club that he's coming back in like three or four weeks. The worst part is that I'm hearing that it might be even longer, uh, so they might wait for him for for a while, and if that's the case, he might miss some significant uh, time without basketball. Uh, but but the, wait, this is the injury that caused him to miss the I European Championship. I think so. I think so. Yeah, that might be Oof. it. That might be it. So that's a huge blow. But the best thing is that they're still carrying out the current situation really well. By the way, regarding Carson Edwards, there was this great shots uh, during the game when Edwards didn't show up on the court mm-hmm. and he was like just this watching the game <laughs> of course uh, Vasiliki Karamuza and Martina Motum as well our colleague noticed that he has colored his uh, nails actually in the colors of uh, Fenerbahce 
Uh, I don't no? really understand. You can see the picture here. I'm not so sure of these Fenerbahce colors, but this is a nice shot. Anyway, don't you think that he's kind of, you know, type of Bobby Dixon player who just plays some sh stretches, you know, to spark the team? Bobby Dixon he, is, is Ali Muhammad, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that he's Bobby Dixon. <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure yet. Uh, he needs more time, obviously. I think he has the potential to be uh, a bigger player than Ali Muhammad. Yeah. Although Ali Muhammad stepped into EuroLeague when he was a veteran already, yeah. play, playing in the EuroCup before. And EuroCup, he was dominating as a scorer and playing for Zelko Bradovic in the championship winning team. He was more of a energy boost type of player. I believe that Carson Edwards, moving forward, can be one of the elite scorers in, in, in the EuroLeague. Not necessarily for Fenerbahce, we'll see how it goes, mm -hmm. but you might see him on some other team in yeah. the future. I just think he has a very strong skill set. Talking about elite scorers and Fenerbahce, Scotty Wilbekin wow. yeah. has to be mentioned for the first five games that he has played. He, I mean, the way he saves possessions for them, uh, and you know, well, just watching this this derby against Anadolu, there were Marko Guderic, he, who hit some fantastic shots. But Fenerbahce, a lot of possessions were kind of stuck, and then it's like the ball arrives to Wilbekin and just, you know, dance on them, make your job so quick with the first step and just the finishes, the jump stops with two, two feet inside the paint. Uh, some crazy three-pointers, and he's in the top shape already at the start of the season. Yeah, he's steadily improving his game. If you watch the stats, every game he was increasing uh, his points. Mm. He's very efficient attacking the ball. And that's what I said before the season when I kind of tried to brainstorm that he might be Alfonso Ford winner because Itudis puts him in, let's say, uh, good spots to score. Also, he has better help around him and he had in Maccabi and what we see from Marko Gugudric, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious. Uh, then we will have another playmaker on the court, Nemanja Belica, with some time. And of course, I mean, he, you cannot give credit to somebody else when Scott is making all these incredibly difficult shots mm. that uh, took uh, Fenerbahce to a victory. But uh, Together, uh, talking about uh, Wilbekin, I also wanted to mention Marko Gudrich. I'm, I'm not sure. I just, I saw two of Fenerbahce games so far, and these games were against Maccabi and mm. this one against Efes. In both games, Marko Gudrich was just amazing. And there were questions if he can be that, let's say, secondary third ball handler next to Scott Wilbekin and Nikolaitis uh, because you know he has his own ego. He thinks that he's, he's really good and he can be that alpha guy on his team so th th this was a big question mark uh, uh, coming to this uh, season but so far i mean watching him play i don't remember that he was so confident for example uh, last season how confident he takes those shots how mm. confident he makes exactly. them his shooting percentages are very solid so far he's making 57 percent two-point shots 48% three-point shots on uh, 13 points per game. He's making tough shots. In most cases, he's making good reads, good decisions, and he, there's kind of this leadership around him, this big confidence, and it kind of reminds me Edgar Solano's situation when, you know, Paulus Kunas got retired, some other veterans like Melaknes uh, left the team. You know, he's that guy which kind of connects the new era of the team and the 
previous era. Yeah. So this is the same with Marko Gudrić. Uh, he was with all these Fenerbahce le legends in the last decade, and now he's one of the last guys uh, on the roster. And he kind of embraced that uh, responsibility and embraced that uh, situation. And you know, his his confidence uh, and leadership in the current situation is really important uh, for Fenerbahce I, moving forward. I just think there's a common problem right now, which is related to Gudrić also that these players um, who go to the NBA and just sit on a bench for the whole year and when they come back, they don't get their playing habits back so quickly. Mm. Usually the first season after coming back from, from the bench, uh, being a bench player in the NBA is, is a tough one. We saw that with Nicolo Melli a little bit last season. Mm -hmm. This season he's much better. We're seeing this with Kevin, Kevin Pangos. And we saw it with, with Marco Kudrić when he left the yeah. Memphis Grizzlies. He needed more time. Last season was kind of difficult for him. Actually, the Eurobasket was terrible. He was just uh, shooting bricks. But now he's getting his confidence back. So probably that says something that if you spend a whole year sitting on a bench in the NBA, you get a little bit rusty. And it it's there's no like magical switch like you click the button and you're the same player you were two years ago when you were no, dominating the EuroLeague. No, it, it takes time. It's a process. So Goodrich went through all of that and now he's again playing his his best basketball probably. Um, as you said about Wilbekin being a potential Alfonso Ford winner, I still stick to the idea that number 55 from Monaco. Uh, is a clear favorite for that one. However, uh, I have to give credit to Wilbekin being, for, for being very consistent. I think his problem in Maccabi was inconsistency. Like you could see him scoring 25 points one day and after two days he's cold and missing mm. missing a lot of shots. Right now, playing for Coach Itudis, he's just playing very smart basketball and his shot selection is, I would say, almost perfect. He he's attacking when he needs to do that, mm -hmm. and he's not like overplaying with the ball the way he sometimes did in Maccabi. Um, of course, he's playing next to guys like Kalaitis and Gudrich. It also helps, obviously. Mm -hmm. The last thing about him is uh, if he if he watches this podcast or someone from his uh, you know surroundings we have to say something about his defense because that often gets overlooked because of how easily he's scoring the ball. But his energy and just being so close to the guards, I mean, he's not, you know, he is the number one option on the team offensively uh, in the last seconds. And he is not saving himself on defense at all to start the season. You know, all the games I watched, he was uh, all over the opposing guards, uh, just constant <laughs> attachment uh, when they have the ball going through screens and you know, we often overlook uh, these uh, high volume scorers with their defense, yeah. but to start the season, he's amazing, so. That's uh, what I actually wanted to say about Mike James. I don't know if you, you mm. would agree with me, but uh, his some defensive plays in the end of the game against Olympiacos were really really crucial. crucial. He made three steals. Uh, and, and as he mentioned in the interview, in the post-game interview, uh, having all these ball handlers and scorers and, you know, great, great scorers like Jordan Lloyd and Elio Kobo helps him to keep to save some energy for the defensive end. And uh, it seems like he's more focused, more dedicated to uh, defensive situations, and it really helps uh, for Monaco so far. I would say that jumping into passing lanes and gambling yeah. for steals is not necessarily great defense. It worked uh, for Mike uh, against Olympiacos, and he got some easy layups from his own steals. It's like three or four times but, he scored in yeah, that way throughout the whole game. Three times, 
if I remember correctly. And some of those were important moments in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, yeah. But I don't necessarily see Mike James uh, putting his heart out on defense, uh, like pressuring the ball against Patnaikos. He got in an early foul trouble, then he just doesn't do anything mm. at all. <laughs> uh, so. Like jumping into passing lanes, in my opinion, is not not great defense. One game you will no, get that's true, yeah. one game I you mean, will get that, free steals, and the other but game you those will... were but those were not you know let's say gambling. Yeah, uh, these were good reads. Good I, reads. I, I, I good give you reads. that. These were yeah. good reads. Yeah, but I mean, talking about good defense, I don't see Mike James being somebody who wants to just pressure the ball handler or do no, stuff like that. No, he's not Lee, but at least I see more effort when it was last uh, season. Maybe. I, I would agree that this season maybe. there's more effort. And more you don't effort. need, you okay. know, huge uh, difference from, from Mike James in defense. Uh, I mean, just this little step up helps the team and the team defense a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you don't have to play 38 minutes and... and uh, carry the whole team yeah. like he did last yeah. season, especially in the playoffs. Now you have, you know, G- now you have more help. Yeah. You have much more help. Alpha Diallo, uh, Donta Hall. It is a lot easier. There were you. two situations also. Uh, I just remembered in the to start the fourth quarter. I think there were. You saw the game. You mean Monaco? Fourth. Yeah, the Monaco game. Yeah, uh, there were two offensive rebounds by Olympiakos in a row. Third or fourth quarter to start. I don't remember which one. But uh, guess whose player took off two offensive rebounds. When Thomas Walkup uh, grabbed the air ball. Mm. And then before was also the same situation. Uh, so Mike lost, yeah, third quarter. Mike lost his concentration. Yeah. yeah it, it, was plus, it was plus eight and 41-33 uh, yeah. to start the third quarter. And uh, then they got four easy points. But after, you know, in the fourth quarter, he... I mean, we can can discuss Monaco Olympiacos in a bit more detail, I think, because it was a really um, great game of basketball. But I just wanted to get back to Scotty for a while Mm. because I thought of a hypothetical scenario. Since Ergin Ataman is the head coach of Turkey, could you see a scenario where um, Ergin Ataman is in a position to choose between Scotty Wilbekin and his own player, Shane Larkin, (laughs) And he goes with Scotty because Larkin struggles. Mm, I don't and see how could, I don't how see could that, that affect their I, relationship I as a player and if coach? If Larkin is Maybe under contract, I don't see Larkin that Larkin would be even happier. He would have a summer off. So, you know, he's getting <laughs> older. You know, he wouldn't need to go there for a month and a half. So I think that he would be even more okay when we can think about it, yeah. actually. Because Scotty played for Turkey in the, in the World Cup in 2019. Uh-huh. And, and then they um, and let's say he was more efficient. Uh, I think well, he, he was, was healthy. Having, that's that's the yeah. thing. Shane was was obviously hurt and couldn't deliver in the Eurobasket. But they both have the Turkish passport, and they, yeah. But they not they can't play together for the national team. They need to pick only one of these two American guards. At Ataman can take Will can play him forty minutes in the national team, and then just kill D- him, destroy and him, season. right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. That would be a very Atamanish move to do, <laughs> I would say. Talking about yeah. Ataman, uh, FS started the season winning two games of five. Where, what do you don't like about them? Where they're struggling? Where they could improve even in the current situation with Larkin being out or with Bobois uh, missing game mm. or two? Mm, you know, you mean not players wise? You know. Adding just adding players, just, just, no, in just in general, not just by adding uh, players. They're not gonna play in any different basketball 
That, that's that, that was I, ha I have. It's not I was like having, we were say trouble. they will make some adjustments and yeah. tactical adjustments. No, I would say like intensity level, but do you expect that? Look, from this, us? this Until week, March, no. This no, week they will be anything. running the same plays. They will be doing the same thing all the time. A lot of ISO basketball, and next week is going to be the same, and the week after is also going to be the same. And, and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. That's yeah. their approach. We play our own way, and some games we win. Some games we lose. This is the like let's say you were asking about uh, who are the closest to uh, the Lakers. Mm. So the way Anadolu plays is the closest to how you know you play in the NBA regular season. You know sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You rely on your best offensive players. You know you defend for two seconds, but if someone beats you, uh, yeah. there is no one there to help. Mm. Rarely there to help. So. You just live with the consequences yeah. because you trust that in the long run you're gonna be where you want to be. Mm -hmm. And why would you question back-to-back -back champions? And the regular season, well, they treat the regular season, you could say, with a bit of a disrespect. After winning two titles. Yeah, because for most teams, it's it's all about being in the top four, having their home court advantage, uh, going into playoffs. I don't think that FS emphasizes that too much. And when they lose to Alba, they don't make a big deal of it. It's just like, we lost the game, carry on. It's regular season. On to the next one. Yeah. In the end, we're still going to be in the top eight. Whether we're sixth, seventh, or fourth, or fifth, you can win the EuroLeague from any seed as long as you have Will Clyburn, Vazamicic, and Shane Larkin eventually will be back. Yes, it seems like Boboa should be back in the lineup quite soon, but... There are problems with Shane Larkin. He might be out for a few more weeks. Uh, so since they won't change on the court, do you think even the upgrade is necessary? Uh, so far from what I hear, they're in advanced talks with Isaiah Taylor. He might be front runner to uh, to join the team. Uh, he Last year he played for Murcia. He's 28. He's 190 uh, guard. He averaged 15 points per game on 43% of field goals, shooting 3.4 assists. Had a 31-point game against Gran Canaria last year, 25 against Barcelona in a tight game. Averaged 6.6 points and 3 assists uh, for Atlanta Hawks four years ago. Do they really need this upgrade then? Or watching, you know, that some... I mean, they look like uh, short of... Uh, short of men and... Even though they kind of don't care about the regular season, I don't feel very good watching Vasa Misic playing so many minutes uh, on the court. Well, from the inside, they know much better what the Shane Larkin situation is. We can only mm -hmm. speculate when he's coming back. And uh, well, we know from from the past couple of years that when Larkin gets back from injury, it, it takes more time for him to catch his rhythm than f for some other players. Uh, so probably you're gonna have to be patient with Shane. And it's easier to go through this by signing another player as a temporary replacement. And Isaiah Taylor is a scorer. I'm not sure if he could be a successful scorer in, in EuroLeague. He, haven't, he hasn't played there. Um, well, he's another player that demands the ball in his hands because when he's playing for Murcia, he's the leader. But... Uh, if there's an opportunity to add somebody, why not? It makes it easier. If you have the money to do that and you can add a quality player, let's say, I so would go for it. Right now it's just Mizic and Clyburn taking turns and shooting and just uh, Fenerware switching. 
not all the game, but a lot of time, and it was just one-on-one basketball. There were no, let's say, let's try to go inside. It was just or Clyburn or Mitic going one-on-one and then, you know, sol- trying to solve the problem. So yeah. for uh, 40 minutes playing that like this and then when you you, you don't have Bobois as well, uh, an additional player would help. So Because now you see Bograhan to Cher getting some minutes. And what happened in the eighth final of the Eurobasket Euro will basket. never happen again. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that was crazy. No game. disrespect to Tenchera. He's probably a good good guy, but no way in hell he's going to be scoring the way he did in that game against France. That was an amazing performance yeah. by him. Well, I'm surprised that both Clyburn and Mitic, they actually lead the Euroleague by minutes played. Uh, Clyburn averaging almost 36 0.5 minutes per game, Mitic a little bit over 35. That's a huge uh, load uh, for your uh, backcourt stars. So even looking long term, maybe Isaiah Taylor would add some scoring options, but the best um, the best ability he can offer, I think that just resting Mitic, for example, in the Turkish league uh, or just in some games, that could be ideal scenario to have him playing more off ball, but I don't see that happening when Vasily Misic is on the mm. court. I mean, even though he would feel tired as it happening in the game against Monaco where he played kind of after he got injured, he still wanted the ball in his hands. So, mm. so, so I'm not sure how it would work out, but uh, looking long term and, you know, having those Turkish league games in mind, maybe that's, that's the whole point behind this uh, potential signing. Actually, the track record shows that FS adding new players during the season never really works out, like Jalen Musa. For the players, especially. Elijah Bryant, when when he joined the team, he really struggled. Then the next season, he sort of found his spot. And he he, he actually blossomed again in the Final Four. He, he yes. played in a crucial yeah, well, role, yeah. Mm. But again, for the he, uh, most part of the season, he was, let's say, And miserable. again, he's a different type of player because he gives you defense. Mm. In this team... You don't require him to score twelve or fourteen points per game. He he's, he has some different duties, but for a scorer to step into this team and like you're playing in Murcia right now, all of a sudden you need to adjust to playing with Euroleague's MVP and probably the best small forward in the league. And they both want the ball and play a lot of ISO. So it's not easy to find your spot. It's hard. Yeah, you're gonna get used to waiting for your shots, like. When you're playing for Murcia, you can basically shoot whenever you want because you have the freedom to do it. He probably now, he probably touches the ball every possession. You know, yeah, and, and 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 here in FS, you will sometimes you will live through like three or four minute stretches without shooting the ball. <laughs> so it's difficult. I think it is difficult, but it's an opportunity for a guy like Isaiah Taylor. It's a big step forward in his career to to try yourself in the Euroleague, and obviously FS could offer him. A bigger contract than, than Murcia. So if I'm Isaiah Taylor, I'm taking it. For sure. That's that's no question. Olympiakos Monaco, what do you think? Uh, Monaco handed them their first last of the season yes. in the EuroLeague. What do you think? Let's say who stopped Olympiakos? Um, if I can say the first word, Olympiakos missed a lot of spot-up shots. Another day, shots going in could be a different ball game. And Olympiakos really made a huge effort to try and get back, back into the game and take the lead. And I think that crazy off the backboard three-pointer by Alpha Diallo sort of mm-hmm. killed it. 
Mm. You felt like you're close, you're trying to grab this game. It's not your best night shooting the ball, but you're getting closer. And mentally, shots like that just kill you. And from that point, I thought, like, it's over. Monaco is going to get this victory. Obviously, Monaco did a lot of good things. Uh, if there is one team that can stop Olympiakos' offense and disrupt it, it's, you know, the Monaco athletic and athleticism and physicality. Mm. I mean, did you see the way Alpha Diallo was just uh, uh, all over the court uh, against Costas Lucas? Yeah. Just not letting him receive the ball easily, making him tired, you know, a little bit. Just disrupting the flow that Olympiakos is used to before getting into the main action, you know. And uh, that was a little bit, you know, I'm not, I, I, I was, I wrote the same thing, you know, they missed a lot of shots, but Monaco also played good good defense you know good enough defense to disrupt their their offense they dealt with Mustafa Fall for example because Fall was doing a lot of damage to Sasha Bradovic's team mm. in, in the playoffs last season they were going every time you know Fall against Moti Yunus we we give the ball in the post we we saw only I think one occasion where he scored against uh, Dimo and obviously when you're playing a great team like Olympiakos away you need a good start and I think it really helped that uh, in the first possessions huge. when they struggled, it Mike James huge. made those uh, corner freeze. It was like a life-saving shots for, for yeah. Monaco to start the game, to get like all the pressure off your shoulders. And it's such a huge thing when you, you know, you allow great scorers to feel good from the first yep. minutes. It's, you know, it's going to be a long night when you see Mike James hitting a free, easy, you know, relatively easy three-point shot. For him, uh, it's easy. For him, yeah. Um, they lost him. I thought Olympiakos lost quite a few times. Monaco, we've just... Uh, they're playing the pick and roll, and on the weak side, Monaco is just switching positions. Olympiakos is, okay, you take this, you take this, and then they're, like, collapsing and kicking yeah. it out for, for an open shot. Uh, so that was kind of, you know... Not something that we saw from Olympiakos a lot in the first rounds. But, the, but so far, they haven't been that great on defense, oh, no, actually. No, no. That's the thing. Like they winning, they, They're they winning were, because of talent, because of, of offense, yeah. Vezenkov being the MVP so far, probably the mm -hmm. MVP of October. But they're allowing more than 80 points uh, in every game. Yeah. So that's an area to improve. They have the same personnel, more or less. So there's no mm -hmm. reason why they cannot be a great defensive team again. Uh, and they should improve during the season. Uh, but also, it has to be said that Elio Kobo had a huge game. Like Fantastic. Okobo and Mike James combined for more than 50% of the points for Monaco. And Elio Kobo is a young player. Uh, it's his second season in the EuroLeague. Euro now he's playing for a playoff contender. It was a different story when you played for Aswell. And uh, Olympiakos away is one of the biggest games you can get. Mm -hmm. And he just delivered, like... If if Mike James started the game and sparked the team in the beginning, I think that Elio Kobo just closed the game. He scored 11 points. He made some tough shots, including that step-back three-pointer in the end of the game. And not only... Uh, there, there's this interesting history between Okobo and Mike James because when actually Monaco reached an agreement with Elio Kobo, and I remember that I broke the news about it before the French League final series started. I remember that Aswell was still dealing the semi-final series. Uh, from what I heard, uh, Mike James was very unhappy about that move and was kind of direct uh, about it. 
And, you know, there was this big question, how they're going to find the chemistry, not just between Okobo and Mike James, but also there was Jordan Lloyd in the mix. Mm. So there was this big question before entering the preseason uh, camp, training camp in, in Monaco. But the thing that kind of worked out well was that, uh, first of all, you know, Okobo joined the team only after the Eurobasket. So at first, you know, Mike James and Jordan Lloyd clicked together. And, you know, Jordan Lloyd is not just another scorer. Uh, he's a very smart a smart player, uh, more, let's say, all-around player. And he's coming with some, you know, great history of winning the NBA championship. You know, he, he's he's been through interesting situations. He was co- coached by, by, by great coaches. So those guys both clicked uh, together greatly. And it was easier to add another big scorer, high-volume player like Eli Okobo uh, to the team and, and to the group. And the biggest uh, difference is that, for example, Jordan Lloyd is not playing at his level uh, so far. Uh, first of all, it was impacted by his uh, back issues in the beginning of the season. Uh he kind of stepped up his game, uh, but he's averaging only eight points per game on some very average 33% field goal shooting, shooting or something uh, like that. But the most important thing uh, and uh, the biggest thing of Jordan Lloyd impact was actually off the court because he's kind of um, labeled as this glue guy in this backcourt between Mike James, Okoba, and Jordan Lloyd. Uh, he's experienced, mm. he knows how to uh, click guys together, and his maturity off the floor helped a lot to build this chemistry. And compared to the last season, it's like a day and night because Mike James and Dwayne Bacon, they were kind of two opponents in the same team. And now it's a whole different conversation. Mm. Uh, they're sharing great chemistry. They're happy playing together. Everybody's accepting their roles. Uh, so we can actually see it's on the court, uh, how much they enjoyed uh, being mm. together. I have like two more takes from this game. Well, one take and one question for you guys, actually. Uh, my, my one take is that uh, I just appreciate the effort Shaq Makisic always gives on the court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a crazy player. He's a warrior. Obviously, it helps when he hits some shots because other teams will never respect those, his uh, jump shot. open threes. Monaco... The way they did in, in the playoffs, respect. they did the same thing here. It's like, I could say a bit cynical. You don't even consider contesting him, even though he hit one, two shots before. You That's don't like Yusuf Nurkic and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good comparison. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he made three from five, but we know that in the long run, he's not a good shooter. But I love his effort. I love his passion for yeah. the game. And the question for you guys, like, I know it's only five games, but is it fair to say so far that Isaiah Cannon is just not the right fit for Olympiacos? I don't know. I'm trying to understand if he's going to get into the groove or... I mean, they... In this game, they use him for a couple of times, you know, as an off-ball you know, um, player and he was just coming off the screens, had some shots. But whenever he's attacking... In the pick-and-roll situations for Olympiacos, I don't see him being aggressive. And I don't know if that's on him or if that's on the system where he just doesn't have the space, you know, that he had in the previous seasons. So I wouldn't say that after five games, you know, he's not, he's a bad fit. But I don't know. I don't see... uh, Obviously, if he makes some more shots in the same situations, we wouldn't be probably saying this, but I don't see him being, uh, you know, that valuable 
and bringing the same value that he was bringing to to his previous teams. And just, I, I cannot understand really if that's on system or if that's uh, on him. So Okay. The best part is that Olympiakos, they are patient, especially Yorgos Barzokas. I mean, I kind of raised this question about Isaiah Cannon mm, even after the preseason because he was kind of struggling. He was not finding his rhythm, but we all thought, we all hoped that he will, you know, find it back after just one good game. Maybe that's what uh, what he was missing. Just one good game, making some good shots. Uh, so far, he's not making those shots. So far, he didn't have that big statement uh, game early in the season. But the biggest thing is that Coach Barzokas trusts him. He's patient. And I mean, they're in a good situation to be patient with him. They're winning uh, even without him. Uh, they're going to be one of the top four, top five teams in the regular season. So I think that they won't force uh, the situation. Mm. There's a huge belief. Uh, what's also important that Isaiah Cannon is a very smart guy, very matured guy. Uh, although he might look like this hot-headed player on the court sometimes, off the court, he's a true pro. So I think that... That's. I think that there might be some good connection between both sides waiting for him to finally show what he actually can do. Because it's not like, you know, it's it's just like, it, sometimes it really feels that he's just missing his shots. I mean, you as you mentioned, with some spacing situations, with pick and roll, maybe it's different when it was in Kazan, but I mean, this is not a huge difference. Uh, I mean, this is not something which is stopping Isaiah Ken from being himself. But, you know, it says something that, uh, I mean, against uh, Monaco, there were some situations where Monaco just were simply attacking him on defense, putting him on every pick and roll because he was not doing a great job. And then he's not, offensively, he's not bringing those points back. And, uh, uh, I, I mean, it says something that he's starting the games and starting the third quarter, but he's almost never, uh, you know, in the lineup that that's closing closing the game. And I don't think he will be in the future. So Larenzaki's confidence compared to Cannon's confidence, at least, I mean, we don't know the inside yeah. of the player player's head, but how these two players look when they are on the court, at least offensively, Larenzaki's confidence seems to me like I don't know, uh, f going through the roof, mm -hmm. and Cannon. I wouldn't say he's playing with the same confidence oh. that he, he was had, playing la last season. But he's the player he, which who didn't kind of had this lack of confidence, you know, neither in the NBA but or he, Kazan. But he was used to be there closing games, like even last year. He's, he was playing next to Lorenzo Brown and Mario Hezonia, but he was in the lineup that's closing games. But right now, we have Slukas running the show. When Slukas is on the court, every, everything goes through him. Yeah, everything goes through him, exactly. He plays every pick and roll. Then you need Lorenzakis on the court for the fourth quarters, or you have Thomas Walkup. And I just don't see a situation unless somebody gets hurt and, mm -hmm. and misses some games that Cannon will be in that closing lineup. We'll see how it changes uh, when Lorenzakis stops doing these incredible things, which he actually kind of did, you know, against Monaco. He scored only three port, uh, points in the fourth quarter. Uh, of course, he can all, uh, offer a lot defensively. He tried to get under Mike James' uh, skin, but I mean... That was interesting maybe, as well. <laughs> maybe Cannon's role offensively in the yeah. closing games was also connected to the fact that Lerenzakis was just yeah. top player in the fourth quarter. So let's be patient to see how it yeah. develops when Lerenzakis stops being Larry the Legend. But there was this highlight. Yeah, You're going to do this guys, every week, no, no, right? No, no, no. Every podcast. I was actually... I was said, there's no way I will say no. it in this part, but I'm somehow it there this, is this, you know, this attraction. Three, this, this three continues. Anyway, uh, just 15, let's, 15, 50 podcasts in a row. Let's, <laughs> let's not 
overlook what the, the biggest highlight of the game. I mean, Leranzakis and Mike James trash talking each other, and this amazing moment. I don't know if you heard, but with five minutes left to play, when Leranzakis hit his only three pointer in the fourth quarter, and Shock McKissick got the technical. I don't know why, because we didn't see it on TV, because yeah, yeah. there were some other situations on the screen. Uh, Leranzakis was following all the way. Mm, Mike James when he was inbounding the ball and I think that somehow they had mics close to both players and Mike James said something like I told you I'm killing you like always like always and the referee tried to calm him down <laughs> and he was like this dude is trying to trash talk me although I'm killing him and Mike already had 20 points uh, 6 rebounds 5 assists and yeah. 3 steals so you know? so it, it was very interesting matchup to watch from the beginning because uh, uh Lennon Zakis, he was literally under his skin. Uh, and there were some moments, uh, I think that uh, when Mike James got the, this offensive foul, when Lennon Zakis drew a charge, um, he said uh, to him, and Mike uh, obviously was un unhappy. And then in the next possession, Lennon Zakis tried to prove something and he kind of uh, made this very mm. early three-pointer and got he, his ass kicked by Barzokas in the timeout. So no. it was just a very, very intriguing pair to watch throughout the whole game. That shot attempt by Lorenzakis was uh, the best Mike James impersonation he was trying to do, I think, you know? <laughs> exactly. He was like... Which it, he shouldn't do, let's be fair. <laughs> but uh, he hit similar shot against Real Madrid from the from the corner in the fourth. He did. Do you remember? That, the shot clock was running out. True. It, it wasn't. There wasn't 16 seconds left in the yep, shot. Exactly. <laughs> no, but it's just this uh, trash talk situation reminded me of this meme when you say, you know, mom, we need Mike James in Piraeus. And uh, Lauren Zakis comes in and he's like, <laughs> we, have, we, have Lauren we have Mike James at home. And he's <laughs> you know, Monaco and Olympiacos all of a sudden is becoming a very good sporting rivalry mm. in, in, in the EuroLeague, in the context of EuroLeague, let's say. And I love it. Uh, actually, it's pretty normal that Oli got their first loss against Monaco when you have a night where Mike James uh, and Elio Kobo with their great talent are scoring and hitting some tough shots. And when you have a night where Olympiacos are missing a lot of spot-up shots, it's pretty normal that Monaco gets the W because they're such a talented team. And uh, it looks like this season... Monaco is very well prepared for those big games because they beat FS in an overtime thriller. Now mm. they beat Olympiacos. The only loss they got is when they, for some reason, they had a meltdown in Tel Aviv, but they could have easily been an unbeaten team mm. alongside well. Fenerbahce right now, if not for that mm. brain fart that happened in, in Tel Aviv against Maccabi. But Monaco is a team to watch, definitely. And the scary part is that they're not playing that great kind of basketball so far. If Some of the players can be much better than they are. A lot of players can be like, probably much better than I think better John Brown are. is finally finding his place. Yeah. Uh, but I think, for example, Blossom Game has a lot more to offer than he does so far. For sure. But probably it's also connected to the fact that these three guards had to kind of click together to find their roles, to find their shots, to find their situations, to find their chemistry on this backcourt. Mm -hmm. And then I hope that it will follow with the, let's see, pro role players with the assets, not only Blossom game, but also, of course, John Lloyd, but there's Donatos Motiunas who can be even 
more efficient in post up mm. situations and in, in some short stretches. Uh, Mormon, uh, Mormon shooting threes. I mean, there is potential, and even numbers show that. Yeah. Nor offensively or defensively, they are great in both categories. They are seventh in the Euro League. They are sixteenth by three point shooting percentage. So they're sixteenth in assists uh, percentage. So there's still a lot of to improve, and that's the scary part because they're already beating some some good teams. You know, one other thing that I love about them is uh, the way. Sasha Bradovic gives credit to individuals. Many coaches don't do that. Uh, even when the reporters ask about uh, one player or another, the coach always answers, it's about the team. It's never about one individual. But Classical answer. But Sasha Bradovic loves to say, and then you know, like, uh, extra quality from Mike. You know. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> I, I just love it. And because he gives a lot of credit to the players. And I think it's it's a good thing to be honest Sometimes to just say that we didn't play good basketball, but he he saved our asses. He's some days so it good. might be Mike, some days it might be Ellie, so, <laughs> some days it might be somebody else. But I love when a coach says that because I, I'm kind of sick of all those uh, usual phrases. It's it's a team effort, yeah. blah blah blah. We all did it, even though you see on the on the box score that somebody scored like 30 points and, and difficult shots, uh, fadeaway jump shots, and whatever. But I love it about Sasha Bradovich. I love that locker room speech as well. Guys, it's only one win, you know? Only one. <laughs> Why are you so happy? Why are you so happy? And, and and it looks to me like Sasha loves coaching American players. Not every like European coach uh, likes to have many Americans on his team. Serbians sometimes, especially when you're coaching like Zvezda, you prefer to have as many local players as possible. And Sasha Bradovich to me seems like a coach puts a lot of trust on American players. I, I I don't know about that, but I just want to give a credit for him because how how he changed as the head coach. Before Monaco, everybody knew, not just we journalists, what we watched on the screen, but also people inside the Euro, they all knew him as a very strict coach, old school coach, yelling, shouting, you know, teaching through punishments. Uh, let's see, he changed a lot in Monaco. A lot of people were like, okay, is it real Sasha Bradovich? And, or when he's just coming out, you know, putting his mask uh, off in some time. No, he didn't change. He, he changed himself and it tells a lot about the head coach, how important it is to make some uh, changes. Uh, because I, for example, I don't like these head coaches. For example, Svetislav Pesic said that uh, after the Eurobasket that, oh, I'm coaching for like 100 years. Uh, I know how to win. I know my way and I'm not going to change it. No, the basketball is changing and it's changing in both sides uh, of the ocean and it changes dramatically. And what's the biggest aspect is changing is the way how they handle the personalities. And it's becoming more and more players league not coaches league as it was before and coaches they're becoming like managers uh with this schedule with playing so many games so we have to manage all the characters personalities uh, to downplay some losses uh, down the stretch so sasha bradovich made a huge adjustment and you mentioned uh being a manager and the psychologist of the team uh there was once again a really interesting timeout from Monaco you know I think last week we were talking about Mike James when he uh, wanted to post Paris when he wanted to, to post up and this week I saw uh, Mike was talking again with someone on the bench during the timeout and then Sasha was like guys I talk now I talk it's my time and Mike was still telling no guys I talk look and then he was talking <laughs> you know yeah uh, managing, uh, managing personalities what you said Donatas is, is, is true I would say that EuroLeague is still a coaches league yeah 
but the thing is that these days uh it's sometimes it's more about building the team and not only coaching the team and because you have back-to-back champions is because, the best example because the head coach in in today's Euroleague is the one that selects the players not only coaches the players and in the old days you you can ha- have a lot of examples when coach is there to coach and the board of directors are there to sign still depends, players no, you know? I, I mean not in every organization yeah, yeah. not in every club but we know that coaches like Messina or, or Jesikavichus mm. they definitely choose the players it's not like somebody says hey Sharas we signed La Provitola. Did you imagine that? Mm. <laughs> no, he he has his word in it, and his word is is the final word. I think. Uh, I don't know about Sasha. Was he um, responsible for like hiring uh, mm-hmm. John Brown or some other players? But there probably, was actually th- since he extended the contract th- and th- knew he was staying. There was this rumor that uh, Sasha Bradovich and Mike James were behind uh, building this roster, but when I hear the stuff about Elio Kobo joining the team and how Mike reacted to it, I just don't think that it's 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 true. It's hard to trust the rumors, but we can trust what we see on the court, and we have to appreciate Monaco because they did a good job by and they were always selecting the players. Let's say thinking out of the box and making risky decisions, uh, like last year, kind of building one team and then on top of that adding some game changers and it might get wrong with some players who started the season and who were told about some clear roles and then you're getting Mike James and especially Dwayne Bacon and now you know this Jordan Lloyd uh, Lloyd Okobo and Mike James lineup we were like what's this all about you know this is some very unusual move and so far it it works and it still has a lot of potential so but you know they're playing this ball game differently you know um there's a certain head coach who said he would prefer to play with five guards if it's possible. So I don't think it's such a big problem to have three guards mm. on the court, you know? Yeah. Talking about coaches, uh, one of our colleagues uh, who likes to spice things up, Agnes Sakavichis, we have to be clear about this. He may, he raised this question uh, before the pod. If Jelko Bradovic is still a top three head coach in the EuroLeague? I don't know how the rate coaches like make a top three you can say like top three my of my favorite coaches uh, but they're different they have a different approach different style for example how do you compare someone who's coaching Jalgiris or Alba to someone who's coaching Real Madrid FS there is no clear basis on, you know... Yeah. You how cannot the judge ranking. them only by the results. And yeah. how he, can you compare, like, Jelko, for example, who's just coming out of EuroCup, who didn't coach in the EuroLeague since since COVID year? I mean, yeah, that's... But, but, but what does it change? I mean, he is still... Uh, how many times he have won EuroLeague? Uh, are we... And he won it are in we, different eras. He won in different eras, different teams... Are we valuing him lower because he lost one game in a single elimination EuroCup playoffs? Uh, you know, that's not, you know, that wouldn't be logical, I would say. But And now, um, after five games, uh, like, if we are ranking the top three coaches in the EuroLeague, if we are trying to rank, you know, these five games play one, two percent into mm. the mm. probably the ranking. So, look, Trinkieri is 0-5 right now, bottom in the standings. 
does it say that Trinkieri is not as good as a coach as he was a year or two years ago? <laughs> I mean, Jelko Bradovic is in a very different situation right now than when he was in Fenerbahce or Panathinaikos. He used to be the head coach of a team that's one of the top three favorites to win the EuroLeague. Every season, the expectation was Final Four. Now he has a team with some veterans and some young players with a very short rotation and uh, some newcomers, some players that don't have any experience in the EuroLeague, some players that have some little experience. And of course, they're depending on guys like Kevin Punder or exactly Day. Uh, so he's far... De he's dependent on Matthias Lessor playing 37, 37 minutes. 37 minutes. They don't have a backup center right now. Matthias Lessor has to play almost 40 minutes per game. And... Actually, I would say they're improving game by game. If you take the first yeah. game when they were trashed first game, by Alba. The first game was awful against Alba. Yeah. It was unwatchable. And really. look, look, right now, they lost to Milan at home by a In very, last, very yeah. fine margin. They should have won against Basconia. Mm. Somehow they let it slip. And they beat Jalgiris, a very solid win in the last game. And they got their first win at home. Who was the opponent? Mm. I forgot. That's a was it Bologna Virtus? Yeah, Bologna yeah. Virtus. And that was a great blowout performance. Wins. Yeah, blowout, blowout win. So what does it say about Jelko Bradovic? Can you judge him um, only by results? He, the team that he's coaching right now is different from Fenerbahce. I, even Fenerbahce in his last years, it was a different situation because he was facing one of the best teams in Euroleague we already had. Uh, I mean, Efes. Uh, he also had difficulties in Fenerbahce because the club had financial problems. There were some late payments that lasted for months. And I remember from what I heard, there was a situation where, you know, they were uh, on this losing streak and you know, maybe he was kind of shouting at somebody during the practice or, or he kind of addressed something. And, you know, some player just didn't respond the way Jelko wanted and Jelko finished the practice. But the main idea was that player said that, coach, we are not paid like for a few months and, you know, you want some responsibility or you're just pushing us to the edge like this. I mean, it's it's not fair. And he just had to, you know, Mm, throw everything out and just uh, to leave the practice. I mean, he was even in an uncomfortable situation with Fenerbahce already when FS era uh, emerged. So it's it's really tough in this European basketball system. It's really tough to make all those rankings uh, because the teams they are so in in such a different situation. So I, I don't think that a great coach with a great basketball mind all of a sudden gets bad because he didn't coach yeah. for a year. It's not like he was out of the game or anything. Uh, it's the same Jelko Bradovic in a different oh, I context. I mean, you might be... Uh, I think that I, I wouldn't agree with it completely. You're kind of losing instincts. You still have to practice your instincts, your intuition, you know, uh, game time situations, game time decisions. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has to be practiced. But, look, but, but it doesn't mean that Jelko Bradovic lost everything just in one year. Two, two questions to follow up uh, the discussion whether he's top three or not. Does he have the respect of the players? It's not the, questionable. The biggest yeah. respect yeah. of all players probably in Europe. Does Partizan play to their strengths from what they have on the roster? Yeah. I mean... So if he has to play Lazor for 38 minutes, he has to do that. He doesn't have a choice. And it's not like you see Partizan uh, 
being a team that's out of control. I think against Jalgiris, we saw he managed the game pretty well. He managed Kevin Punter with his foul trouble. He survived the difficult stretch of seven minutes without Punter when he was sitting on the bench. Trusted the young players for a while, but he was very quick to react. Like He gives an opportunity to Tristan Vukcevic. He makes a very bad uh, play on defense. And immediately, Zach Lede is back. Because in EuroLeague, every possession counts. So he still has the Talking. feeling and everything and the respect, first of all, on top of that. I trust players and other coaches, and all of them are saying that Obradovic is, is a legend. It's a pleasure to play for him. He's still the best. I mean, come on. Uh, it's a silly discussion, in my opinion, <laughs> and it's a very silly statement if somebody is stating that, that Shelko Obradovic is past his best. Like, mm. I mean, his game management is top level, as you said, and and just following Partizan, you can see all the you know new stuff or let's say trendy stuff that's in basketball. For ex I can give you two examples. You know this post-up play when you are posting up and then you are giving a handoff and you are playing off of that with the big guy. Yeah, Partizan has a lot of that. We saw that against Virtus or this. He, he I saw one set play that they are using quite a lot this season where. You're playing a pick and roll to the side and there is Kevin Punter standing on the free throw line and receiving a flare screen to the other corner. This is kind of, I have not really seen this set play in other teams. And you know, usually it's a copy, copy-based league, you know, everywhere in the NBA, in Europe. If you see a good set and it's working, all the other teams are going to try to implement that. This is something that's, you know, you haven't really seen in, in Europe. So... That's you. You you could say this is what Jelko, uh, you know, thought of in in his head, and uh, he has been doing this for I don't know the last twenty years. Like Spain pick and roll, you can see way back in the day, a lot of plays that were popular in the last ten years. Jelko Bradovic's team were playing uh, way back before, and it's if you post a play, for example, on Twitter, there is always someone saying, "Hey." Jelko Bradovic team on 2002 all, was already <laughs> playing that, you know? So he still keeps doing that in 20, 2022. No, he's super active. He's still even stepping on the court, although he's like, how old? Like 61, 62 or something. He joins players no in the practices. He runs at the game speed, actually running uh, out of screens and helping these players out. You probably all saw this alley pass to, to Kevin mm. Punter. I mean, his energy is is something astonishing, which even surprises the other members of, of Partizan Club. So Yeah. NBA has Greg Popovich. We have Jelko. Yeah. Respect the... Goat NBA, NBA has hostile fans uh, from oh. now on with this attack against Luka Doncic. What was your reaction watching the way Americans reacted to that situation where in the extra time in Brooklyn somebody threw the cup of ice towards Luka Doncic? I just don't understand the first thing. I just don't understand why you need to throw things on the court to start with this I know Donatus is getting all riled up right now because he likes this uh, topic to talk about this. I remember you talking about the oh, yeah. derby of yeah. Uh, Belgrade, Yeah, I think. But it's just to me, either you are completely drunk or you are, uh, I don't know. Delusional? Such an unhappy person in your life that you have to throw a cup of ice to a player. Uh, At least throw a cup of beer. Luca would love to refresh. Don't waste beer. Cup of don't beer. waste beer. This, this stuff is happening in, in Lithuania. In Lithuania. You know? <laughs> 
Um, you know, <laughs> if if you watch a lot of football, and the football players are always used to uh, when you score a, a goal and you go to celebrate next to the uh, you can see the flying objects. Yeah, you always have beer thrown at you. And for example, in Germany, it's very but common. It does, in it Netherlands, it doesn't make that normal. Uh, it's it's not normal, and especially on mm. on the basketball court where, where you're playing uh, inside, like. Mm. Football is played outside and you can get wet or get dirty or whatever. Uh, in this case, you spill something on the court. First of all, you stop the game because the the floor needs to be wiped. Mm. And Luka Doncic is going to laugh. You're not going to affect... <laughs> like, like always. He just You're smiles. not going to affect Luka every time. by throwing stuff at him. Maybe you might even raise his game to another level because he might actually take some pleasure from this whole situation and yeah. start dominating the game, which he did, by the way, and they, mm. they beat Brooklyn in an overtime game. So, uh, I don't know. This this fan will obviously be banned. Uh, NBA, the league... He was and, arrested. Yeah. Well, the league, the clubs, and the states have very strict policy about stuff like that, so that was just a stupid thing to do. And, of course, uh, it's, it's not the first time we, we see some... NBA fans acting out like uh, I remember some fan in Salt Lake City had a beef with Russell Westbrook, for example. We saw like a Phoenix Suns uh, fan uh, throwing punches at a Denver Nuggets fan shouting Suns in four, I believe, <laughs> something like that. And then the uh, next game, the things, whole arena is like showing this. Things get out of hand sometimes. Like you're allowed to drink uh, alcohol, to consume alcohol during a basketball game and the NBA game is very long and I think it's a myth that every single person in the arena when we're talking about NBA knows how to behave in public cameras only show us those who are like sober and acting when they're on a dance cam they're gonna dance <laughs> there's always gonna be someone talking dirty shouting stuff especially in places like Boston Philadelphia mm. But of course, throwing cups is, is something that that needs to be punished. Jordan Lloyd tweeted, he retweeted our, not not our, but Bleacher's video when Fan threw a cup at Luca. He tweeted that nothing new over here and a lot of people made fun because in Europe we got used to some way more wild things than just one cup of ice. Uh, and I know that a lot of people made fun, but at the same time, I mean, I like how serious NBA people were about it because this is the situation where you cannot tolerate it. I mean, yeah. we cannot yeah. be proud of that. Oh, we're throwing not cups of ice, but some bigger things and it's way more hostile and this is real European basketball was here. No, it shouldn't be that way. Nobody should throw things on the court. And I like that that guy will be arrested. As you mentioned, he probably will get will get banned. No, but Im imagine he hits really with, a, with that ice, someone in the head. We saw players in Europe being hit by lighters or coins and some of them getting hurt actually by mm. some objects, flying objects uh, from the stands. And another problem in Europe that there are certain places where you're playing in a gym where people are smoking inside and they're not only smoking cigarettes. Mm. So <laughs> that's not happening in the NBA, at least. They have a non-smoking policy, I think. It should be hard for a professional athlete to perform uh, smelling marijuana <laughs> or, or cigarettes, tobacco. So, yeah. 
But I agree with Donatus that uh, the way NBA reacted, it should be an example yeah. also to uh, you know people in Europe. Yeah, show example, show example to some other potential situations like that. That everybody knows that if you will try to do something like that, you will have to forget watching basketball in in gym. But in some countries, we still have these kind of things, you know, every year repeating in the final series or in in big derby games. So it 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 it's not cool. It's not cool. But the best thing what I liked about that situation that when Jason Kidd Kidd was quoted. Uh, when he was asked uh, about you know this situation, basically in almost every article it was repeated something like Jason Kidd, who is no stranger to spilled drinks at the Barclays Center. If you remember that story when nine he years a ago, timeout. he needed a timeout and he instructed his player to hit him, and he yeah. just uh, uh, yeah. threw away the cup of <laughs> yeah. not ice but something else. So he five hundred IQ play, you know? Gatorade <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so it was three D chess, right? That was funny. Uh, and Luca's response was like he laughed and just said, "I'm used to worse things. It's no big deal. I don't care about the cup of Luka, ice." Luca always being clear and short with his answers. But Luca, he likes to communicate with those fans in the front row seats, like in oh. those VIP seats. When he makes a best friends, when he makes a step <laughs> back free, he's always gonna say something running back to defense. He's a showman. He That's said, what he does. <laughs> he, said, he says more to the um, VIP seats uh, yeah. than to uh, interviewers after the game. I think he just enjoys uh, hitting daggers in front of some celebrities. Like when you're playing in Brooklyn, sometimes you will have Jay-Z sitting there. And what a pleasure it should be to hit a, like a buzzer beater or a game winner in front of one of the greatest rappers of all time. <laughs> right? So that's who Luca is. That's why we love him. Yeah, so that's all, guys. But I have to, before we end, I have to promote Basket News Shop because I will get killed by uh, by Julius. Uh, as you see, Ritas is still with his Urbona sweater because yeah, it's, yeah. it's I cool. I, it's didn't, cool. I didn't get it the memo. Good. And it's hot. That's that's why you're here with with this shirt because it's it's very warm sweater, and you can find it on Basket News Shop, which is basketnews.lt slash n. No, shop.basketnews.lt slash n or just shop.basketnews.lt. Can you just you'll put the link below? <laughs> it will be easier. It will be easier. Yeah, so you will find like, the link in I the description. I didn't understand a, a single thing. Like, I don't know. What did you say? Like, slash bn slash dot what? <laughs> you will find everything in the description. Uh, so, and you will be able to call how, uh, Isaiah Thomas said about Victor Wembanyama, we have this Victor, where your mama at? <laughs> joining the league next season. <laughs> that was good. That was good. One. Yeah, so your mama. Thank you all guys for this uh, pleasure to share oh. basketball conversations mm. and see you in the following weeks, probably. Yep.